We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, friends, welcome in. Let's all get together and talk about your Carolina Panthers as painful as it may be. We've been here for four straight seasons. We ain't going nowhere. It's the Roar Podcast presented by Prize Picks right here on Blue Wire. I'm your host, John Ellis. Billy Marshall and I are still together. No worries, friends. Scheduling has been tough lately. Billy and I are back hopefully later this week for a Bears-Panthers recap and a look at what's ahead for the rest of the second half of the season. Here as we analyze your one and seven Carolina Panthers coming off the tough loss to the Indianapolis Colts last week. We'll talk about that. We'll give you sort of a um, pulse check of where I think this team is right now, not only on the field as we're at the halfway point of the 2023 NFL season, a season that began with a lot of hope, a lot of expectations, but honestly, they have failed the test in a lot of ways so far in more ways than one. We'll talk about what's going on on the field and also the broader picture of this franchise. We do this every single season around this point in the season, sort of a state of the franchise episode. And I've got thoughts, strong thoughts, I'm sure, uh, as you can imagine, on where this team is. Uh, it sucks losing. They continue to lose. They have been bad at winning for a long time consistently. And uh, we'll take a deeper look at what we think might be uh, causing some of that, at least in the short term right now. It was a tough game last week. We talked about it, and I'll give you a recap uh, as we go into this episode of uh, the, the Rural Podcast. I mean, look, there's no other way around it. There were a lot of expectations and a lot of uh, people with high hopes, including yours truly, after the big win against Houston. Um, there was a great opportunity for this team to build on the momentum that happened against the Texans, a game that I was in attendance for. I was with my son, Andrew, in the stands. And I, I know on last week's episode, I gave you an opportunity to uh, kind of uh, have my perspective on what that was like, not in the press box, just chilling with my son in the uh, in the 200 section, just getting a sense of what it was like. And for the first time in five years, a Panthers quarterback led a team at home on a game-winning drive. Um, first time in five years. And if you remember, that was the uh, game where the Panthers beat the Giants in that same stadium with Graham Gano's 60-plus yard walk-off field goal. 27-13 is what they come back with. A loss, a dud against one of the worst defenses in the league. 27-13. Uh, they couldn't do anything remotely successful. The final stat breakdown, let's give you that first. Uh, Bryce Young. 24 of 39, one touchdown, three interceptions. Two of those interceptions were returned by Kenny Moore for pick sixes. That's completely unacceptable. The run game was decent, but you have to look at the context of this. Chuba Hubbard was the, the lead back. Again, 16 carries, 58 yards. That's under four yards per carry. Miles Sanders probably had his best game since week one, and that's sad to say because Sanders was brought in at a pretty substantial contract Six carries, 39 yards, six and a half yards per pop. Uh, Blackshear only gets one carry. Bryce Young carried the ball five times for 41 yards. Most of those were running for his life. 
because the pass protection again was bad. Uh, we, we've also got a Q&A session later in the show. Appreciate you guys. We've got a lot of questions in the mailbag. That'll probably take up more than half of the show, so stay tuned on that. The receiving game, Here, here's the problem. This dates back to what we saw when the Jets came to town. And it's one of the concerns I had about this team. Full disclosure, I had them at 8-9, and nine, the Panthers. That, that was my relative expectation for where they would finish the season. That's still possible, I guess, technically. They go on a run here. You've seen teams close out strong in seasons like the Lions did last year. The Panthers were 1-7 and seven back in 2004. They finished 6-2 down the stretch, missed the playoff by a block field goal. Things can happen. It's still a gettable division, but we're getting to the point now where Billy had this conversation with me last year after the Rams lost, Steve Wilkes' first game. And the division was in about in the same position as it is now. Until they can show that they can put together back-to-back wins and start to get rolling momentum-wise here, there's no reason to believe that a playoff conversation should be anywhere remotely in the mix right now. There's a larger conversation to be had about what this team did to acquire Bryce Young and what they did to ignore what he needed. And part of that is when you look at the receiving core. I think Thielen has done a nice job at 33 years old. His stats have been solid. Five catches in this game for 29 yards. Everything is short. Everything is a quick Hank curl concept routes, you know, slants. And it's it's not a vertical attack. And I think part of the reason is you've got a real problem here, a real problem with pass protection. That game was alarming against the Colts and you put on the tape and you see the amount of times Bryce was flushed out of the pocket. He was sacked four times in this game overall. And the the Colts defense, uh, they, they hit him seven times the week before. It wasn't much better. Bryce was sacked five times against the, the Texans, even though they won, but he was able to come back from that and elude some of those sacks and, and to keep himself relatively clean. And they didn't have the penalties either. But when you look at the receiving court, the one thing that continues to stand on a tape, and I'm not the only one that's saying this, it's been making the rounds, nobody's getting any separation. Nobody. And part of it's route concepts, I'm sure, but part of it's just the lack of ability to separate. Thielen doesn't have that second gear. He just doesn't. And that's okay. He serves a purpose. He's the Y slot receiver, and he does a good job in that department. You know, you saw some flashes from Stephon Sullivan in this game. Four catches, 28 yards. Unfortunately, he went down with an injury. That's another storyline we have to touch on if we have time in the show is the injuries that have mounted up. Hayden Hurst had the longest pass play of the year for the Panthers, 48 yards. Chark, two catches, nine yards. He did have a touchdown. Trimble, two catches, 12 yards. He did have a big fourth down conversion in the game. Mingo, one catch, or one catch five yards. Yeah. Blackshear, one catch, five yards. Hubbard, four catches, nine yards. It's just stagnant. There's just nothing there. Sanders had three catches for 22 yards. When that's celebrated in the middle of the game is, okay, this is, whoa, Miles Sanders is really coming on. Miles Sanders was putting up 100 yards consistently, total offense with the Eagles. And part of that's not his fault that he comes here and there are deficiencies. Bozeman did not play great in this game. There were moments where he didn't look great. Aquano has regressed, okay? I don't know if he's regressed so much as we just have to get some perspective on who he is and what he is. He was drafted by Mad Rule and Scott Fitterer and brought into Ben McAdoo's offense as part of a power scheme, run game, play action shot type of offense. Totally different attack here, where they were an 11 personnel the entire game. They, they never used two tight end sets. The hell with the fullback. That doesn't exist anymore around here. And it was painful to watch this offense in this game. On defense, of course, the news came out that Brian Burns uh, suffered a concussion. He will not play against the Bears. Uh, a host of others will not play as well, including C.J. Henderson. Uh, Dante Jackson, I think, has had a decent couple of weeks here. So he's one of the guys I look at and say, not too bad. Alex Cook has been pretty good. One of the new safeties there. Uh, it looks like Von Bell's getting closer to coming back. So maybe that helps him out. Xavier Woods. He had the big hit in this game that was called a personal foul, and that was a killer right there. And you know what? It wasn't. It wasn't a personal foul, and there's nothing you could even say that, well, don't even give him a reason. He he slightly launched, but he hit him in the chest. Hey, shit happens in the NFL, and if you're not good enough to overcome that, you don't deserve to win. 
you don't. You can complain about it all day long, but if you're if your margin for error is that narrow, that thin, that small, and you can't overcome that, then you deserve what you get in this league. Frankie Louvu continues to to get it done. Eleven tackles, eight solo. Um, the the run defense was very good in this game. Overall, you look at what they did on the ground. The Colts came in, and they're one of the most prolific offenses in the league. In the run game, 30 carries, 78 yards between Taylor and Moss, two of the best backs in the league. Moss was second in the league in rushing coming into this game. They were able to get first downs on penalties. Penalties was a huge part of the game here. Minshew, they held him in check. He had a touchdown pass. He didn't make any crucial errors in this game. He only passed for 127 yards. So the pass defense remains effective enough. But again, just situational screw-ups. And it leads to the bigger question. Again, we'll go through some of the key stats here. Both teams had 17 first downs. Uh, Carolina actually had 10 rushing first downs. They were 7-6 to six on third down, 2-3 of three on fourth down. So combined, 9 of 19, which is about as good as you can be if you're Carolina. The Colts, on the other hand, were 4 of 13. Carolina had 275 total yards. The Colts had 198 total yards. Carolina had 12 drives. The Colts had nine. Carolina led the game in yards per play. They led the game in passing yards. They led the game in rushing yards. They doubled up the other team in rushing yards. They also doubled them up in penalties and more than doubled them up in penalty yards. That was one of the key factors in this game, as well as turnovers. It it just annihilated them. The early turnover that Carolina was able to get on the uh, special teams fumble from McKenzie, the returner. The offense comes out and gets a penalty. They can do nothing with that drive. That, to me, was an indicator of, okay, this might not be their day. Bryce Young then throws a pair of pick sixes um, that were completely on him. Completely on him. You can't let that happen. You can't. When you outgain the opponent, when you outpossession the opponent in time possession, um, to give it away in the second quarter with a 20 to 3 outburst and then the pick 6 late in the fourth quarter it just it's just completely unsustainable they're 1 in 7 right now um it's an embarrassment it is we talked for years on this show about mad rule and we have to give the same amount of heat and um and not for blood sport that's not what this is i like frank reich I like the guys in that building. I think Thomas Brown can be an effective coordinator in this league. I really like the defense quietly, and it's not going to get talked about a lot. The defense has been quite good of late. They're, they're stopping the run at a better rate, and the pass defense remains a top 10 unit statistically with all the injuries they have. They're overcoming a lot. But on the whole, this operation is just falling short. Now, I know some of the games on that schedule were tough, but some of those games were not. The Falcons week one, and you lay an egg there, coming out of the gate. So it gets back to the larger conversation about the state of this team. One in seven right now. The owner is David Tepper, and we've talked about Tep on this show many times. And um, David and Nicole Tepper were a central part of what happened last season with the NFL draft. There's no secret that they were part of the traveling caravan. They were front and center. Now, how inclusive Did they make themselves in the decision-making process? I don't know. I honestly don't know. But they weren't passive. You've heard Frank Reich talk about the fact in his own press conference that David Tepper is a hands-on owner that won't, quote, stand idly by. Um, I, for the life of me, can't understand how this team is one in seven. But then you start peeling back the layers of what you're looking at here. And it makes a little more sense. Number one, this coaching staff, a lot of them had never worked together. Okay. Frank had done some good things in Indy. So that gave me some degree of comfort knowing that you've got a bona fide NFL coach who has won playoff games in this league, who has been to the playoffs multiple times, albeit there were quarterback issues there left and right. But people I've talked to tell me that that was in large part due to the fact that the owner and even the GM to a degree were a part of that revolving door of quarterbacks this is further amplified by what's going on with cj stroud who by the way has 200 or i'm sorry 2270 passing yards 14 touchdowns one interception 
to start his eight game career in the NFL. And a week ago, you know, look, they faced off. Um, that's always a dangerous barometer because they're not doing anything to affect one another's performance. It's all about what you're doing against that team's defense. So Bryce had the better of the two days, but still, even on that last game winning drive, you didn't see any splash moments other than a couple of a little, they did the little things well. You didn't see any splash moments from Bryce that just made your eyebrows raise and be like, damn, okay, wow, okay, this is special. Houston has the operation down, and, and Stroud is overcoming some things too with the offensive line not being great but good enough. They've got some apparent weapons down there with Nico Collins and Tank Dell, but you know, you've know got Jonathan Mingo in the mix here, another guy that was drafted relatively high in this draft. He's done very little to suggest that he's going to be anything more than another Terrace Marshall. It all starts in the trenches. It, 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 well, there's two things really at hand here. You know, Bryce, I'm not going to judge him. You know, uh, evaluators have talked about 24-month window. I think 20 games is something I've heard people say as well. In terms of you give, give a quarterback that's a rookie 20 games, and then you can give a fair evaluation on where he's progressed. I'm impressed that Young hasn't been hurt yet. He's been hit. It, like, every game you look around at QB hits, on the stat sheet seven eight nine times some of these hits are bad too like the harrison smith hit against the vikings some of the early season hits that he took preseason the jets lit him up a couple times and that was one of the things i said you know despite the the whole conversation about size i don't think the batted balls were going to be a problem i don't think the field vision is the big problem i think it's separation pop on the tape feeling can't separate at a high enough level Mingo can't do it. One of the guys they wanted, Demir Bird, uh, got hurt preseason. He was not going to be uh, an every-down factor, but a guy that could stretch the field. Chenault is not a boundary separator. He's a gadget player who can muscle through some first downs for you, but he was never going to be the guy. Terrace Marshall is not that guy. So you look at it now and you say, well, what is he throwing to? Hayden Hurst is underwhelmed. Tremble's good in short space, but he's not going to give you a lead separation. You need that from your boundary guys. You see Tank Dell running loose, Nico Collins running loose. That's how you set your quarterback up for success. Play action, bootleg, misdirection. And this Panthers offense looks extremely vanilla, extremely predictable. And their lack of physicality, too. Look, the running game, there, there is no... I, I like how Hubbard runs. I'll give him credit. But if you're not going to be elite in terms of your speed and your vision, which they're not, that, that group is not, you need some muscle in the paint. And they don't have that. You get to short-guarded situations, they don't have that. And so they can scheme things up all they want, but until they have the personnel to separate against tight man coverage, or in this case, against the Colts, all they did, and this is what Gus Bradley does, they sit back in a cover two shell, or sometimes quarters, they sit back and play very little man coverage, and they very rarely blitz. But when that Colts front, I know they've got Buckner, but man, when that Colts front that's been terrible this year overall is getting pressure on you consistently, forget about it. Because all you got to do at that point is just sit back and play zone, keep your eyes in front, read the quarterback's eyes, and he's under pressure every single play. It's completely embarrassing. It's unsustainable. And it's, it's, a, it's malpractice. And here we are again. Panthers fans are suffering through this. And now it's further amplified by the fact that this whole lead up to the draft, and it's the one thing Billy and I talked about. It was no indictment, and Billy may have a different opinion on this. I don't know, but Billy and I had a conversation about this pre-draft. It was inevitable the Panthers were going to go ahead and move up and get their quarterback of the future no matter what. No matter what. There was no more waiting. And Billy and I, I think, had this conversation. It might have been about a year ago, or a little less than a year ago. It's the last uh, couple weeks of the season wound down last year. Is it the right year to be making any big splash moves a lot of this conversation happened because the team was pushing for a playoff berth last season and i think they should have because you take those opportunities when you have it steve wilkes had to change the culture a little bit in that building but for what for they're one in seven now did it help 
the whole culture thing happens when you win. When you win, the culture gets better. You can't come in and inject a culture and all of a sudden things just, you know, follow the culture. The wins happen and the culture follows. It's it's it just pisses me off so much when I hear this when they brought rule in the brand, the culture. It's like get show me some wins first. That's what builds culture. And when John Fox came in and started coaching this team, I know Foxy had some ups and downs in his coaching career. But he came in and they had one of the best defenses, honestly, in this franchise's history in his first season, 2002. And that offense was bad. But they willed themselves to seven wins because their defense was amazing. Number two ranked defense in the entire NFL that season with no offensive help. They had Rodney Pete at quarterback. They had Randy Fasani at quarterback. I think Tim Hasselbeck made an appearance. They had Lamar Smith and D. Brown at running back. They had Smith and, and, and Muhammad, but they still were handcuffed by the fact that there were deficiencies on the offensive line and deficiencies in the quarterback room. And, and they still came in, and they started winning. And they beat meaningful teams in meaningful games down the stretch. Now, is there a carryover effect in these seasons? A lot of the guys I talked to from that team say, yes, there was. Yes, beating New Orleans at the end of the season, knocking them out of the playoffs, going to Cleveland, beating a playoff team in December in 02 had a meaningful impact on what they did moving forward because you knew you had your guy in John Fox. You knew the system was working, and you knew the addition of some key components on offense through free agency and the draft were going to help tremendously to build them and make that next step. Now, was Jake DeLoma masterstroke? Yeah, in hindsight it was, but at the time, I don't think anybody thought Jake DeLoma was going to come in and do what he did right off the bat. They did sign Stephen Davis to be the bell cow running back. He was tremendous. They, they got Deshaun Foster and they threw the draft. He was hurt his first season, but came in and was a great complimentary back. They signed Ricky Prohl, who was a great slot receiver to open things up for Smitty and Muhammad. So they had something building that you could see. What's important right now for this team? The Carolina Panthers back in that uh, first season of John Fox, it's, it's dangerous to compare, I know. They were 3-8 and eight at one point. They started 3-0, and oh, they lost eight games in a row. They turned up the screws, and they got after it in the second half of the season. This is a vital stretch for this franchise right now. You can't go back and change what happened. I know there's a lot of pissing and moaning going on right now. I know it's tough. It's hard. This is incredibly important, the next eight games. You have no first-round pick next year. You're not playing to tank. You're not even thinking about it. And that never happens in the NFL anyway. And maybe from time to time. Maybe the Buccaneers did that back in the day with Lovey Smith, <laughs> that, that game at the end of the year. But on the whole, they're not playing to lose right now. This is a prideful staff. Frank Reich is a prideful man. Thomas Brown is Jairo Evero. Dom Capers, Jim Caldwell, Deuce Staley, Todd Wash. Uh, you got a lot of guys on that staff that are extremely proud. James Camp and these guys are prideful, but they're all underperforming right now on the whole. One in seven is completely unacceptable. And to have Bryce Young running around for his life when in Alabama things were moving with more of a flow and rhythm and, and pace to it, for it come to the fact that Frank Wright comes in, he's the primary play caller, which we questioned at you know press conferences at training camp. Would this going to be your role throughout the season? And you know, the Frank has been very honest and transparent about this, and he was honest about it throughout the process. And yeah, right now I'm the play caller, but the plan is to give Thomas Brown the reins. Is Thomas Brown going to be able to do this at a high level? He's never done it at this level. I think he's a great coach, but. I could say that all I want, but if the proof is right here with two pick sixes and a team that moves the ball but turns the ball over at an alarming rate, is it fair to bring up Josh McCown's role in this? Has he done a good enough job developing Bryce Young as the quarterback coach? Everything's on the table right now. Now, from my perspective, does David Tepper fire Frank Reich if they fail to win another game this season? Well, I don't know. David Tepper is an aggressive owner. He's very aggressive. I, I, I'd say this. I'm not so much worried about people getting fired and hired. They're all making a lot of money. They'll be paid a lot of money if they do get fired. I'd hate to see it happen. The fans are dwindling here. The apathy is, is sinking in. It's, it's, it goes from anger to apathy pretty fast in this league. 
and you will start to lose your base. And the only thing that makes that better is winning. Didn't it feel good last year to beat Detroit with, what, 550 yards of offense on Christmas Eve, a, a surging Detroit team? Didn't it feel good to beat Tampa last year? At home, Tom Brady comes in, and you put him on the ground several times, and you play great defense, and you, you, you hold him to one of his worst games of, of recent memory. Didn't it feel good to go to Seattle last year against a playoff team and win by playing bully ball? <clears throat> It's tough to watch. Look, and I feel bad for you guys as fans because I'm sitting here trying to cover the team and I've got fans in my house and fans in my family and I've got friends that are fans and it is hard on them, man. And I know you guys are struggling, but there's the same old adage I'll say from from the day one is just hang in there. Um, There's a lot to question. Fitterer needs to be examined and, and the whole front office needs to be looked at closely. But you can't fire the owner. I'm not suggesting they should. I'm not trying to make this a David Tepper bash fest. But there's a lot of animus out there about the current performance of this owner. But there's nothing you can do about that. What are you going to do? You can stop supporting the team, I suppose. I mean, that's totally your call. I've never come on here and told you how to fan. I've never been that kind of guy. Not going to start today. Um. On a personal note, before we get in the mailbag, I want to thank uh, those that have reached out on uh, on on text and on, on Twitter and X, whatever we call the app now. Uh, my wife, Olivia, who I, I love dearly, as you guys can imagine, um, she's a nurse, a labor and delivery nurse, and she was taken to the ER this weekend while she was uh, on her shift. She had uh, like a real bad dip in her blood pressure and uh, had numbness in her legs and... Um, it was kind of a scary moment because I was down in Clemson for iHeartRadio doing the Clemson pregame show, and, and that's about an hour and 20 minutes away from where we were up there in Spartanburg in our home town there. And I get a call from a family member that, that my wife is in the ER, and I'm freaking out. And so I, you know, step aside and make a few calls, and all of a sudden I'm jetting back up the road. And it turns out it was, you know, dehydration. She'd been sick most of the week. Her kidney levels were really bad and um kidney stones were a part of the problem and the rest of it has been resolved since then so long story short you guys reached out in mass on on twitter and thank you for that because she's home now she was discharged on monday and um i know the podcast we've been sparse lately but it it's been you know we've had some hurdles to climb here uh both billy and i in terms of a lot of things scheduling work but at home things have been you know Things have been better from a health perspective. So we're we're glad about that. So uh, just wanted to thank you guys for reaching out and, and showing your support. Coming up next, it's the Roar Mailbag. Oh, we got some questions in the mailbag this week. That's coming up next. Hey, y'all, John Ellis here for Prize Picks. The most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season is right there at Prize Picks. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Testing my skills on Prize Picks this football season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn 10 bucks into 250 bucks with just a few taps. It's simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entries in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks number one in the daily fantasy sports app market price picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to payouts like taco tuesday each tuesday price picks discounts select player projections up to 25 percent to provide even more value price picks now offers apple pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season Get started today. Go to pricepicks.com slash roar. Use the code roar for a first deposit match of up to $100. Pricepicks.com slash roar. Promo code roar for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily sports fantasy made easy on Price Picks. All right, time to fire up the roar mailbag here on Blue Wire. We are brought to you by Price Picks, pricepicks.com. Um, so we put the question out yesterday, um, ask us anything. And you guys did, you came in in mass. Okay. So here we are. Dustin Mabin chimes in with the following on Twitter here are the offensive line troubles on the players or the coaching staff. Um, yes. (laughs) In a word. Yes. It's, it's a collective, it's a collaboration. As I say, it's a collective effort. I mean, look, part of the problem here is left guard has been a, a trouble spot all season. Um, Brady Christensen was solid, if not spectacular, 
last season and he's been missing in action all season and you've had Throckmorton and others sort of rotating in Chandler Zavala who had that bad neck injury was not playing good at all the run blocking has been exceptionally bad altogether and the scheme is different you know there's a mix of zone and man concepts and gap concepts here Um, there was a lot more I think of the gap last year but there was also some zone blocking as well but part of it is when you get into a rhythm as a line I, I think McAdoo did a nice job last season of understanding who his line was with Campen being a part of this also. And this is just me spitballing here. I think those guys understood what they had. And when Wilkes came in, okay, let's simplify this thing and let's let these guys get rolling downhill and let's play to that strength. And they played the Arby's package. Remember that with the extra offensive line? They had the extra tight end in the game. Oftentimes, a lot of uh, 12 personnel two tight end sets, and they had DJ Moore in the mix as well, which they don't have now. Um, but the the pass protection, look, Aquanu, and I alluded this earlier, I don't know if it's so much regression as it is when we told you during the draft process, um, and this surfaced about this time last year when Steve Wilkes took over, they went in to play the Rams, and he had like a perfect grade from PFS blocking. And look, I, I like the guys at PFF a lot. But I did, you know, a caution alert for <laughs> some of the fans out there that Aquano did have a great pass block rating in that game from PFF, but a lot of those passes were thrown at or behind the line of scrimmage. So very few of those passes that um, were thrown in that game were, were beyond the line of scrimmage and or, or even 5, 10 yards downfield. So it's hard to give an honest assessment on how good or bad Aquano looked. It's also dangerous to me to kind of isolate linemen and say, well, this guy sucks. This guy's great. I did that for a while, and I got smart about it. Talked to some O-line coaches and said, you know what? The the best thing to do to analyze this and understand that if they can't play as one, as a unit, for an extended period of time, it's hard to build and grow that continuity. I think Bozeman's had his ups and downs. He's a veteran. I trust him for the most part. I think Taylor Moten has been pretty good this year. Um, We can isolate these guys all day long, but they're not playing good as a unit. They're not playing in harmony. And it brings me back to like 2021. There were moments back in that season where you'd see um, film cuts of the line literally looking back at the quarterback with defenders chasing. Like they're all turned around and, and, and they've been turnstiled effectively. You're seeing some of that this year. And it's disappointing because that was in the middle of the offseason. A lot of people perceived that was going to be a strength of this team. And I think part of the problem with that thinking is a lot of diversity of thought as we talked about coming to that building. And Campen is a holdover. And how good was that unit last year? How real, Really, how good was it? Was it elite? Was it eh, middle of the pack, but just better than what we've seen for a while? I don't know. Second question from Dustin Maben. Is the lack of energy on offense an extension? Uh, let me get this right. Is the lack of energy on offense an extension or of Bryce or Frank's demeanor? Or something else missing? No, I don't I don't think that the demeanor matters, yeah, matters anything. I did, Frank... Frank was going to the playoffs and winning eight, nine games a year, if not 10 games a year with the Colts and staying competitive. And he's been the same guy ever since. Um, you know, when, when there's bad calls, Frank gets in the year of the official and he gets after it. But Frank, you know, I'll say this. With, with, uh, just to answer your question about Bryce. No, I, I don't think Bryce needs to change the way he is. Bryce was very successful at Alabama, and he was looked at by almost everybody during the draft process, if not the best quarterback in this draft, maybe the second best, but surely a top two pick. Had had he not been taken by Carolina, he would have been taken by Houston. And it makes you wonder how he would look in Houston right now, but that's a dangerous game to play. We all know that. I don't think the energy is an issue in terms of they need more juice. They need more yelling and screaming. I, I, you know, I, I don't see that. Ron Rivera came in year one. It was Rivera and Chudzinski. Chud was in the booth running the offense. Ron was on the sidelines. And I was a little bit stunned, too, because the amount of energy John Fox had, he was always chomping that gum and always clapping and hit his notepad, slapping it on his hands, you know, getting his guys fired up. Um, that's who he was. A lot of Pete Carroll energy with him. And with, um, with, with Rivera and Chudzinski, there was not that. Ron was very stoic in the beginning. But look, nobody was complaining then when that offense was put up 400 yards a game in the beginning and, and Cam was throwing dots and running touchdowns. And um, No, I, don't, I mean, I get what you're saying, Dustin, but I don't think that's the, the big thing. Um, 
the third question is, should Thomas Brown and Ajiro Evero garner more head coaching opportunities this offseason, or will we have them back? Uh, I have a feeling Thomas Brown will be back. I have a feeling they'll both probably be back. Now, I don't know what's going to happen the next few weeks. I just don't understand uh, <laughs> the full context of where we're heading. We're 1-7 right now if you're a Panthers fan. And uh, if they don't start winning some games, uh, I don't know what this owner will do. I have no idea. That's not to suggest, ooh, uh, cryptic thought by John Ellis. No, it's an honest assessment. I have no idea. I think anything's possible. They could get fired, but uh, that was a hell of an investment they made in this coaching staff. They took a lot of time and effort and money to put it together. I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I think they'll both be here next year. But Evero's defense, like I said, with a lot of injuries, they've played pretty well, considering. Um, Jeremy Singleton, uh, one of my buddies on Twitter. I know it's a rough season, but what can I say to other fans to help them just relax a little bit? <laughs> Jeremy, <laughs> come host this show for a few weeks. <laughs> um, I I think it, it's hard, Jeremy, because and I I, I love the question because it, it it speaks the heart of what the problem has been lately, and that's just lack of. You know, lack of success. When you lose consistently, there was that one stretch last year where the team got on a roll a little bit. But even through that, there were some bad losses. The loss at Tampa, at least you were competitive at the end of the year. They lost at Baltimore in a very ugly game. And they they lost at Cincinnati. They got completely boat raced in that game. They lost at the Rams. So Wilkes did a good job, but it wasn't immaculate. Um, I give him a lot of credit, though. I mean, that was a hard thing to turn around in a short amount of time. But... I don't know. I think just get back to the basics of trying to look for the positives here, which are few and far between. I think there's a lot of conversation. You know, the trade deadline came and went. Bryce Young um, did not get any help with weapons. I, I think that was actually pretty smart not to do anything foolish at the trade deadline in terms of buying. Now, there's a conversation to be had about Brian Burns. Um, Adam Schefter reported that multiple teams made an offer. I have no idea if the offers were as good as the one that was reported last year for two first-round picks. But I will say this. Um, I, I was I was glad to see, if I'm a Panthers fan, at least from that perspective, that they didn't go out and start trying to buy, you know, Jerry Judy or, or Cortland Sutton or, or Hunter Renfro. And I like Renfro, but he doesn't make sense. They already have Thielen in the slot. Um I just think if I your question was, what can you tell other fans to help them relax a little bit? And you did a smiling emoji, too. So I get where you're coming from, Jeremy. There's not much you can say. There's not. I mean, look, it's just, I go back to there's an old Bill Walsh quote that he gave and I'll butcher it here. But it was one of those uh, football life documentaries I watched on Bill and uh, the famous uh, coach from the 49ers. Of course, Bill Walsh had, had said after a playoff loss. There's no hiding from it. It's sitting there right in front of your face. There's nothing you can do. You got to face it. That's how it is. And um, it's hard to come in and do this show every single week. It's it's a bit actually cathartic at times when you go through these moments. One in seven sucks. There's nothing you can say about a one in seven team to say, oh, yeah, this is where we want to be. We're right where we want to be. The, the, the whole fallback is always, well, you got Caleb Williams and you got uh, Drake May and you got next year's draft. What this team needs to start becoming is about what happens on the field in that moment. When this team has had their best runs of success, and they're the big criticism when David Tepper took over was, well, they never had back-to-back winning seasons. Okay, fair enough. But since that time, they have not had a winning season. They have been very bad. I'm not pointing straight to Tepper and saying he's the direct result of that, but when you're the head man in charge, that's the nature of the business. It's tough. Fans will get frustrated and upset. I'm not here to stir that pot. I'm just here to tell you, I understand why fans get upset about ownership. I do. I get it. You want your team to win so you can focus on, hey, we're in the moment. We're like like the Texans fans right now. Do you think they're worried about next year's draft? No, they're not, because this year's draft was a home run. And the rest of what they did around it was a home run. They added the right pieces. They added the right staff. They had everything come together, and they're doing things the right way. When you win, things feel good. You can focus on the present and not worry about next March, next April, next May. When you're not winning and you've gone out of your way to build up the excitement, all the excitement for this franchise over the past few years has been about things that have nothing to do with wins or losses. It's all hypothetical acquisitions, bringing Cam Newton back, 
letting him go again, um, bringing in Stephon Gilmore, uh, the, the fact that the, you know Matt Rule, a three-year process, five-year process, seven-year process, uh, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, uh, the draft. Oh, you're going to be uh, J.C. Horn. J.C. Horn is an amazing player, but he can't stay healthy to no fault of his own, but it sucks. It sucks for him. It sucks for the team. Had he been healthy this year, think about this. I told you this preseason, man. This would be a hard season if Horn or Jackson were not in the lineup together for at least 14, 15 games. And look at it. Here we are again. I'm not dogging on J.C. Horn. That's that You're misinterpreting what I'm saying if you think that. I feel bad for the guy. It's tough. He's had some bad luck. But everything we've been talking about for four or five years here has been about shit that has nothing to do with football. It has to do with the business side of football. Headquarters being built and, you know, acquisitions, trades. Oh, what are we going to do? Trade draft capital. We're going to have arguments on Twitter for fucking four or five days about, do we like this draft compensation? Do we not like it? It's so exhausting. And I've talked to fans about this. It's exhausting. When you're in the middle of being competitive, the the stretch they had with Rivera where they stabilized the quarterback position, they drafted Cam Newton, they started rolling, they at least got rolling late in the season in those first two years. And then you could see, what was it, uh, division title in 2013, 14, and 15, division uh, race in 2017, they came down to the wire and they got a playoff berth. So that's what, four out of five seasons they're in the playoffs? Yeah, you take that. Now, I don't care about what happened in 2014 with a losing record. They got in. They did what they had to do. I'll take a 7-9 and nine playoff team any day. 7-8-1 was the record by then, by the way. <laughs> Whew, breathe, John. Been a while since I've had a rant like that. <laughs> it's been all optimism. And Jeremy, I hope that helps you. I, I Lean into it. It sucks. Face it. You got to just go through it one game at a time. They get back after it with Chicago this week. Russell in North Carolina writes, uh, John, honest take, how likely is it that Frank is one and done? That's what uh, Frank uh, is asking. I'm sorry, Russell is asking. A lot of people are wondering this about Frank. I I really don't have a feel for that right now. But, you know, a lot of the reporting out there seems to suggest that David Tepper, impatient. David Tepper, impatient. That continues to be a theme we see reported by guys who cover the team and ladies as well. Um, I don't know. I I have no idea. I I would hate to think that he gets fired after one season that, that, that would feel like, all right, be careful what you wish for there because what else is out there that's going to be a home run slam dunk and how much does that cost you as an owner and then you get in a cycle of being looked at as an owner is, okay, do I really want to come here and work? I don't know the amount of money they handed out for this coaching staff, but I would imagine it took a pretty, pretty coin to put this staff together. A lot of big names, a lot of guys who had head coaching interviews and, and are considered hot commodities and uh, it, it's a collective effort right now, the way they've been losing. And I hate to put it all on Frank, but he's the head coach in charge. And this next uh, stretch of games, the last nine, 10 games of the season are critical to everything, including Frank Reich's future. Um, Cardiac Panther is improving the offensive line. Now the biggest need for Bryce's long-term success. Yeah, I think there, there's, there's a component that's important they got to figure out a way because they've made investments here in this offensive line. Corbett is a very good right guard, but he's coming off the ACL. I'd like to keep him around him if I'm Carolina. Do they know what they have in left guard? Is Zavala, I mean, look, is he going to be good enough? I hate that he got hurt, but before he got hurt, it wasn't good. It was early season struggles. I get it, first season. Is he going to be good enough? Um, is Bozeman the answer long term? Moten is getting up there in years. 2017 was his rookie season, but he's still solid out there at right tackle. And Aquanu, look, like we said over and over, I'll go back it again. If he didn't work out at left tackle, as somebody who in true pass sets could be the guy, kick him to left guard, and you've got an elite left guard for years. I still feel that way. Now, maybe some offensive line specialist will listen to this show and say, John, you're way off base. I think you have to make that consideration. I, I, I don't think you can have the combination of schematics and this line, the way they're structured and it work out. This line is not built for the offense. They're trying to run. Um, they're not athletic enough. I don't know. I mean, for the most part, they don't feel like they're athletic. It feels like a bit of a misfit. 
And when it comes to at least athletic enough in the pass sets, uh, the, the run blocking has not been much better. Just to give you a full understanding, but I, I posted some film about this. Some of the run blocking early in the season was atrocious. It's gotten better with Corbett in the lineup, but they were really bad, especially in the interior part of the line at creating any sort of running lanes. I think separation of wide receivers is critical. I mean, they've got to find some guys to separate, too. It's, it, it goes hand-in-hand. Hand. They've got to be better at protections, and they've got to have guys to separate. It's a bad situation for Bryce Young right now. And I think all things told, he's got, what, seven touchdowns, seven picks for the season, eight picks, something like that. I mean, that's about what you'd expect at a bad team right now. Uh, DeAndre White uh, writes the following. Why don't they give other guys like uh, Marset Smith more reps at receiver? Blackshear at running back. We've seen a lot of everybody else, and it's not working. I don't disagree with that. I think Blackshear should be getting more touches. He had some nice touches there in the Houston game. Last year at Seattle, he was exceptional in limited action in that game. You've got to have more of that. You got to more of that. Uh, Amir Smith Marset has been good in the return game. That's one thing I want to highlight too: is the return game has been very good. Blackshear and, and Marset Smith have been very good in the return game. That's a strength right now for this team. Now the penalties on special teams have been frustrating. Uh, Hecker has had some pretty good moments, and then there have been some ups and downs with his year. But uh, for the most part, it gives you a solid uh, base there for your punting game. And then you know, honestly, Barno's been good at Gunner. Punt coverage has been good, and the field goal units have been great. So fundamentally, they're there. Uh, Panther Fan Life writes the following. I know you keep saying Fitter should be given an additional year, but this personnel is so awful. I just don't know he can be trusted during another offseason cycle. Yeah, my whole stance on that was, you know, now the attention and spotlight is on him with Matt Rule having personnel control the past few years. And I thought, okay, well, you know, this is not to say that I like or dislike Scott Fitter. That's not a part of my analysis. It's Quite simply, let's see what he can do without Matt Rule calling the final shots. Let's see how that looks. I, I'll go back to my original analysis on all of this. I think you keep everybody together for 24 months, for two full years. If by that point it's still not acceptable, and I'd say by, by year two there needs to be a push for the playoffs, not year three, four, five. It should have been this year with this division, but it, maybe they'll pull off a miracle but you're right the personnel is not very good right now it's not a lot of that's injuries i mean look a lot of it's on the defensive side too defense is kind of holding their own and they're banked up and i give a lot of credit to Evero and his staff for holding that together and look frank deserves a lot of credit for that too but other than that there's not a lot to celebrate here one in seven is terrible the offensive line has been bad and the receivers are just not they can't separate the tight ends are underutilized and they're not that great to begin with I don't know. Um, got a question here. How bad can this get? Are we looking at a 1-16 in 16 loss season? Uh, I mean, I don't know. You start winning some games. Uh, yeah, what else do you have to play for here? I mean, going to play the tank for your second-round pick? Start putting the wins together would be a nice thing, but the outlook for that seems kind of grim at the moment. they gotta, they got to beat Chicago. I mean, that's a team that they can beat. They should beat, but should they? Can they? <clears throat> let's see what else we got here in the mailbag we can kind of long in the tooth here um ah uh, this is from uh, bink hello bink i know there's been some bad offensive lines in panthers history but have you ever seen essentially the same o-line carried over from one season to the next regress so much i don't recall seeing it like this well i mean again to be fair like i said the scheme has changed a little bit there's a lot of 11 personnel they're almost in gun exclusively it seems um different running backs Campen having to get on the same page with Thomas Brown and with Frank Reich in orchestrating the way their block schemes are. You can isolate each player. I think Aquano has underperformed on the whole at left tackle. Um, I want to see it get better for him, but I mean, there's moments where it's just bad. Now, there's some moments where you can the, the protection slides, or there's there's moments where it looks like Aquano is totally missing his guy when he's not even seeing him, and that's a protection call issue more than Aquano being bad athletically. But there's some moments where Aquano is just getting beat with the bend around the edge or and even occasional power move will get him. That's not going to last. I mean, and they know that. They, they know that. Um, I there, there was a time like the, the 99 Panthers offensive line was good enough for Steve Berline to make the Pro Bowl. In 2000, I remember a lot of the same guys came back and they were awful, but they went through a coordinator change. Gil Haskell left. Um, 
2003 to 2004 was a bit of a drop-off because a couple guys got hurt. They finally started getting injured, and that's kind of what happened this year, too. You had this same line playing together for almost the full season. What happened at the end of last year was pretty significant with Corbett and Christensen both going down. That was the real core of what they were doing, the interior offensive line. I know the tackles are pretty good, but, man, that interior offensive line was so critical to everything. Um, Nathan writes, why does the pain never stop? Because <laughs> you're not winning. You're not winning. All right, folks, so we got the Bears coming up. Uh, that's the next game on the docket. Appreciate the mailbag, by the way. Sorry if I didn't get to all of them here. In fact, wait, there's one more. Hold on. There was a DM that dropped. I want to make sure I'm getting this, too. So um, this is from Benton Stillwell. Okay, so um, here's a question for the Roar Mailbag, John. With the team currently in disarray and fan morale low, um, I see a lot of fans trying to project how to fix the issues at hand. These are less moves to be made post dime, but I notice a trend of people stitching burns to be tagged with a non-exclusive tag in the offseason. Um, also a loaded question, but how did we get to this point? What is the process of the front office? Is it a policy of theirs not to negotiate in season? Those are all good questions. Look, on the Burns thing, I think the franchise tag could be in play. I think an extension could be in play. Uh, I think the way he plays down the stretch will determine that. I think his stock in terms of his asking price went up with all the the, the, the reporting that's come out about um, how many teams tried to make a move for him. I and mean, his camp has been pretty firm about this, that no, we expect it to be paid and compensated whether you believe he's at a, a Bosa level or a Max Crosby level or whatever level he's at or just below that or, or right in that mix, he's going to want that type of money because every new contract goes up. So to suggest that he shouldn't be paid that money is not understanding the market because every time a new deal comes through, you see this, the number climbs. And then the next guy will get more than that, even though they're not quite as good. Potentially, that's just how the market works here. Um Thanks for the questions, though. Thursday, coming up, 8.15, it's Al Michaels trying to stay awake in the booth with Kirk Herbstreet on uh, a Thursday night game that's got a lot of intrigue. It's going to be interesting to see these two teams. Uh, They they did uh, Montez Sweat to the mix over there in Chicago. DJ Moore gets a chance uh, to uh, avenge uh, what was uh, probably a little bit of uh, sour grapes for him and having to leave this team. Um, But... He seems to be doing some good things there in Chicago with his production so far this year. 47 receptions, 735 yards, uh, five touchdowns on the season, and he's making some explosive plays. The Bears are 2-7 and seven right now. They're 2-3 and three in their last five. They're good in the run game defensively. They have no pass rush. Carolina will be without some of their own pass rushers as well. Justin Houston's on IR. Brian Burns will be out. Marquise Haynes, no idea what's happening there, but he's been activated. Um, and I hope to see him back in the mix as well because I'm a big fan of number 98. We'll give you a full recap coming up. Hopefully Billy Marshall and I are back together later this week. This has been the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. Thank you for listening. And as always, <laughs> hang in there. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.